0: Hi there, welcome back to our study of 1 Kings. We are in 1 Kings chapter 10 this week, looking at verses 14 to 29. And to understand these verses, there's something we need to understand about how the Bible works. Whenever I'm teaching the Bible or preaching the Bible, one of the things I wanna do is not only to help people understand what the Bible says, but also to help people understand how the Bible says it and how they can interpret and understand the Bible for themselves. So in this passage, we see a really significant example of how understanding how the Bible works help us helps us make sure we are interpreting the Bible or uh, understanding the Bible correctly. So one of the most important things that I've been taught about how to interpret the bible that i want to help you see today is that understanding what earlier parts of the bible say is key for understanding the passage of the bible that you're reading right now so for example we're in first kings and i want to read to you something that um, an author and and professor who has taught me a ton, both through his books and through his classes, uh, something that he says about this passage that is going to help us understand what is being said about the reign of King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 10. So here's what he says, he says, the narrative or the story records events from a perspective that assumes the teaching of the torah in other words what the story in first kings uh, is telling us assumes that what the torah the law uh, of moses the first five books of the bible uh, it assumes what those books say and assumes that we know what those books say he says while the perspective of torah is assumed transgressions of Torah are generally not explicitly noted. So though they assume we know what the Torah says, they don't always tell us in 1 Kings when the Torah is being broken or when the laws uh, and rules that God gave to his people, when they're being broken. That's not always explicitly stated. We're just supposed to catch it some of the time. He says, In order to understand kings, however, readers must be aware of the terms of the covenant in order to see the justification for the visitation of the curses of the covenant. So when the curses come upon Israel because of her sin in breaking the covenant, breaking God's law, in order to understand why that's happening, we have to catch the fact that though that covenant has been broken, those laws have been broken. So this comes from a book called "God's Glory," and it's backwards. Sorry, "God's Glory and Salvation Through Judgment" by uh, James Hamilton, and a super helpful book if you want a guide to the big picture of the whole Bible, what it's all about. Um, but. I want to focus on that quote right there that he gives us, really important and helpful insight that uh, to understand First Kings, we need to know the law because First Kings is not always going to tell us when the law is being broken. It's not always going to say David broke this commandment or Solomon broke this commandment or, you know, so on and so on. Uh, we're supposed to pick up on that. And so we're going to start our study of 1 Kings 10 today in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 17, a short but important passage that helps us understand what's going on in 1 Kings chapter 10. So in Deuteronomy 17, God gives to his people instructions about what their King should do and should not do when the time comes for them to have a king of course during the days of Moses there was no king in Israel in fact in the book of Judges so after Joshua then in the time of the judges one of the refrains is that there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes it was not until the books of first and second Samuel uh, during the ministry of Samuel the prophet that God allowed Israel to have their first king that was Saul uh, he failed and rebelled against God, was rejected. He was replaced by David. Um, and then David, of course, has been succeeded by Solomon. And that's whose reign we are in the middle of in 1 Kings chapter 10. And so uh, listen to these verses, uh, because if you pay attention to what uh, these few verses say, um, in some sense, First Kings 10 will almost interpret itself, All right, if you have these verses in the back of your mind. So here's what God says about the coming kings of Israel, what the kings of Israel are supposed to be like. He says, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, this is Deuteronomy 17, beginning of verse 14, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me you may indeed set a king over you whom the lord your god will choose now that sounds a lot like um first samuel i think it's i think it's chapter eight when israel asks for a king like all the nations right and so god gives them saul as a king that's basically what happened what uh moses was saying here to the people on behalf of the lord Um, and so he says you're okay you're going to have a king god will choose a king for you and he says one from among your brothers you shall set as king over you you may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother so he needs to be an israelite and not a foreigner now listen to this verse 16 only he must not acquire many horses for himself Or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since the Lord has said to you, You shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Solomon, it's very possible that a little bell started going off there at the end because it says he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. And you know that that was Solomon's downfall was that he acquired many foreign wives and they turned his heart away from the Lord and um, toward uh, idols. And so you know that some of this, at least, Solomon uh, did not obey. He did not follow. He did acquire for himself um, many wives, and they did turn his heart away. That's the story of 1 Kings chapter 11, the first part of 1 Kings chapter 11. But this last part of 1 Kings chapter 10 that we're going to look at today leads up to that story of solomon's heart being turned away by his many foreign wives and listen and see if you pick up on any other things that solomon did contrary to deuteronomy 17 remember don't acquire many horses don't send people to egypt to get horses and don't acquire silver excessive silver or gold here's verse 14 of first kings chapter 10. He says, now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Remember, a talent is 75 pounds. So 75 pounds times 666 talents, that's the amount of gold that Solomon received in one year. Is that excessive gold? Verse 15, besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land. So that's not even all the gold he got. He was also getting gold from all these other people. Verse 16, King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold, 600 shekels of gold went into each shield, and he made 300 shields of beaten gold Three miners of gold went into each shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six steps, and the throne had a round top, and on each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests, while twelve lions stood there, one on each end of a step on the six steps. The like of it was never made in any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to bring gold, silver, ivory, apes and peacocks or have a note in my bible that says that word translated peacocks there could mean baboons so some kind of exotic animals Verse 23, Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought his present, articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Kew, and the king's traders received them from Kew at a price. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver, and a horse for 150. And so through the king's traders they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria." Now, when we read that passage, if we did not have Deuteronomy 17 in the back of our minds, what we would probably think is this passage is all positive about Solomon. He's a wise king and he's a wealthy king. And, he, and those are both good things. He has gotten all this gold and all this silver and all of these horses and all these people are coming to him for wisdom. And all of that is a good thing. Now, the wisdom, of course, is a good thing. The people coming to Solomon is a good thing. And wealth itself is not a bad thing. But God warned his people in the law that when they had kings, their kings should not acquire excessive silver or excessive gold, nor should they acquire for themselves many horses or send people down to Egypt to get horses. And yet what are we told about Solomon? He, did he have excessive gold? Absolutely, he had excessive gold. 666 talents a year, and that's not even all of it. So much gold, he's making shields out of gold and hanging them in uh, this uh, part of the palace complex in the what's called the Forest of Lebanon, this huge room with all these pillars in it. He covers his throne with gold, Um, He has a fleet of ships that comes every three years bringing silver and gold and ivory and exotic animals. Solomon has failed to keep that part of God's instruction. He is acquiring too much gold. And is he also acquiring too much silver? Yes, uh, we're told here that um, verse 27: the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. Right? Um, verse: uh, the second half of verse 21 says um, that none of the drinking vessels in the the uh, of Solomon's in the house of Lebanon, none of them were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. But, you know. A vessel of silver a cup of silver who needs that right we've got more than enough gold why bother with silver so he's acquired excessive silver excessive gold what about the horses Deuteronomy 17 said he was not to acquire for himself many horses right or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses well, what are we told about the horses? We well, had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Now, he doesn't tell us the exact number of horses that he had. But if you have 12,000 horsemen, how many horses do you have? Thousands of horses. Lots and lots of horses. Um, and where are these horses coming from? Verse 28 Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt. Now, maybe he wasn't making the people go down to Egypt to get them. But the fact that they're coming from Egypt at all is significant because he's acquiring so many. Right? And verse 29 reiterates this again. A chariot being imported from Egypt, and how much it costs. So, what do we do with this chapter? Because on the one hand, you could say... The whole thing is sort of a a pay on to Solomon. It's in praise of Solomon. He's so wise. He's so wealthy. Everything is going so well. And then we get to chapter 11 and everything careens off course because he takes too many wives. Well, how, how do we know that it was wrong for him to take so many foreign wives? Well, because Deuteronomy 17 warned the kings about that. But it also warned them about excessive gold, and it also warned them about excessive horses. So if the excessive wives in chapter 11 is a problem, then the excessive gold and the excessive horses in chapter 10 was a problem too. But there is also some positive in chapter 10, right? Right there in the middle, verse 23 and 24 and 25, about how Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of solomon to hear his wisdom that's not a bad thing that's reiterating what we saw last week with the queen of sheba that solomon uh, is uh, with with the queen of sheba coming to visit him that story is sort of one episode in a series of stories and even um, prophecy about how the nations are going to be blessed Through the offspring of Abraham, ultimately through Jesus, who is the ultimate offspring of Abraham. And that happened um, in Genesis through Joseph. It happens in 1 Kings through Solomon. Isaiah prophesied a time when people would stream to Jerusalem to hear uh, the law of the Lord. What are they coming to Jerusalem now for? To hear from Solomon the wisdom of God. So it's not all bad, but it's not all good either. There is still some good. God is still blessing the world through Solomon, even while Solomon is beginning to make some major missteps. This is the beginning of Solomon's downfall. He's beginning to ignore the things that God has said. And he might get away with it for a little while, but he's not going to be able to get away with it forever. And in chapter 11, we're going to see what happens as a result of his refusal to listen to God's word. But in the meantime, God is continuing to bless people through Solomon, even despite his sin. But we can't ignore that what Solomon is doing here is out of step and out of sync with what God expected for his kings. As great and glorious and wise and grand as Solomon was and as his reign was and as the temple that he built was, Solomon is not the Messiah. Solomon is not the Savior. Everything good about Solomon points us forward to Jesus in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, is the ultimate king, the king of kings and lord of lords, and everything that's bad about Solomon, everywhere that Solomon messed up, points us to the reason why we need Jesus, why we need the Messiah, why we need a greater king, a sinless king who can take our place as our substitute, deal with our sin forgive us and make us new through his death and resurrection and ascend to the Father's right hand, reign over all of creation, and yet still be merciful to us and bless us and ultimately bless the world. Grateful for the wisdom of Solomon, but even more grateful for the grace and mercy of Jesus. Amen.